Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sander Lanch podcast. It's the big day. Today, we are starting on The Way of Kings, the first book in Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive. We read the prelude, the prologue, and chapter one. We're in, over the course of uh, about 5,000 years, various things happen. A war seems to end. There's a king getting killed. Uh, unlike the King Killer Chronicles, where we've still seen no king killed. And uh, and then uh, there's kind of a more personal fight on a battlefield. But yeah, we'll, we'll get into all that. I'm Data, and with me today is... Jamie. Dak. And Joe, and I'm sick, so hello. <laughs> Joe is uh, is has made the effort to make it even despite the fact that he is uh, horribly ill. So I didn't want to miss this. I didn't. Uh, who could miss the first Stormlight uh, episode? That's what we're doing, right? Sorry, my brain's not working. Yeah, no, totally. There it's are got storms, the, and there are lights in those storms. It's got that one character whose name that you knew. So uh, yeah. Yeah, you Cal- you weren't all that spoiled. You've already Cal- known yeah, Cal- Caliban. Wait, no, Cala <laughs> Caligan, Cal Calaran. Oh. Now you Boy. have me thinking. Yeah, well, Jimmy yeah. Jimmy Jam. Any- yeah. Anyways, hang on to something, everybody. The Sander Lanch is about to begin. So yeah, new book, new planet, new new whole bunch of stuff. Uh, what did you guys yeah. think of these three chapters? Going to be a new host if I don't get better. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, take, taking applications in case Joe just doesn't make it. Um, <laughs> Poet. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, I, I think that's a little too much chaos. Well, th- th- there, there's a reason that uh, despite being a friend of the show, Poet was uh, never even approached to begin with when we came up with the idea <laughs> is that getting him to read anything is uh, not easy. So, yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, it would it would probably make for an interesting commentary on the books if he had no idea what was going if on. If you hadn't read them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see to what fit. his theories and predictions would be. Maybe that's a new show model. One person who's read everything, another person who's reading for the first time, and another person who's not reading it at all, but is getting described <laughs> to that person, and they're trying to figure out what the hell is going on. That <laughs> that could be interesting. I guess yeah. though, as uh, people who who did actually read the the chapters this week, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I wow, this is a new book. There's a lot of information packed into prelude, prologue, and and chapter one. Holy moly, already some pretty, I think, visually impressive moments. I was fascinated in the the first bit that we read. Was it the 10? Okay, welcome to a new book. Jamie can't remember any of the names again. Just <laughs> we do this every time, and it will probably take me until the end of what we read of Stormlight to figure out where everything to, is. I was just like, oh, my God, yeah. I'm panicking. There's so many new words. The ones with the the, the, the blades, the... um. 
Well, I don't know if it's great, but I assume aren't they shards something shards? Shard bearers? Bearers? Uh, they said that, these these, these blades are bearers? beyond even shard blades. It's, I think it says. Okay. Yeah, Fine. they, they yeah, these these swords are <laughs> even more special than shard blades, whatever that uh, is. Okay. So this 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 group of more special than shard blades <laughs> bearers. Um <laughs> Very interested in those guys. Like it sounds just insane, and I hope we learn a bit more about all of that because I was like, this is a whole bunch of information that I have no context for. But it was pretty fascinating from the get go. The king, I like the little switcheroo that he played there. It's quite smart to be left alone. Was it? Right. Is it? Was that Seth? Or was? I don't know how Seth. we're, we're going to yeah. pronunciation as well. Um, <laughs> call him Seth. Yeah, I, I liked his character, and I think I'm very excited to learn about all these different cultures and how they tie in and who hates who and, and all that sort of stuff. And then, yeah, the battlefield. I'm, I'm excited to learn what's so special about this guy that they paid so much money for to come out and get stabbed. And, <laughs> yeah, there's just there's just a whole lot of stuff going on. I did have to have a bit of a giggle when it was like the first time jump is four and a half thousand years. And it's like, oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Just a small jump. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that we don't know about. And I liked the, we're, we're kind of back to epigraphs, I guess. Mm-hmm. That, that's cool too. I'm, I'm intrigued by those, but so far it definitely caught my attention. Like it's, it's, Good. I have no idea where we're going. So, spoiler for predictions. If you're waiting for my prediction, I have no clue. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to remember everyone's names. Introduction to the powers. I thought the the bit about the lashings was cool, and then the picture I've built in my head was also really cool. And then I've got data in the background going, you know, don't think everything is as you expect <laughs> it to be. And I'm like, I I don't even know anymore. But so far, so good. I liked it. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, that's one of the things that stuck out to me when I started reading again this time, which you mentioned. It's like, oh, epigraphs are back. It's been a while since we've seen those. Like between this and the original Mistborn trilogy, in my brain, like Brandon uses epigraphs all the time. But like we really haven't seen them in a long time. No, that's it. It was um, kind of a nice memory jog. It's like, oh, that that provided us with a really cool puzzle last time. Hmm, what's in these? And yeah, definitely paying attention to them. Good call. Yeah, there's probably something to them. And, uh, yeah, he definitely didn't uh, take any time, waste any time showing us some action and some use of the magic here. So, Yeah, I, I don't think there was much way you could have gotten to that much faster. Yeah. So, no, no, nobody uh, gets to complain that there's no action happening, unless I guess there's no action after this for a long time. Although two of the three chapters we read this week were pretty action-packed. Just tied you over for a while, you action junkies. <laughs> Yes, so definitely looking down the barrel of a uh, of the big epic here. Like it, even from like the prelude, I'm just like, oh man, this is gonna be huge. I mean, I, I mean, I knew that already, but like just from from that alone, it's like you could feel the scope of it already, just from the first not quite chapter. So that was a whole thing. Yeah, I liked our two mysterious or ten mysterious blade wielders. Really fascinated to know what what they're up to because I. Yeah, we'll have to see where that goes, including the one they left behind. Uh, I, the highlight for me this week was Zeth and the action, like him chasing the king down the corridor and then getting getting into the fight. The way that was all written was just so fluid and seamless to me. And I'm just like, I don't quite know what's going on, 
but he's using like <laughs> fantasy inception powers to walk on the ceiling and then pull other people to the ceiling and everything. And I'm just like, okay, don't quite get it, but I am all fucking in on this power set. This is cool. I love it. So yeah, like it almost like when I got to the battle scene with Sen after that, I was like, that's cool and all, but it's no fantasy inception fight. <laughs> like nobody's on the ceiling in this fight. Come on. Yeah. And just like, yeah, like Seth just seems like a fascinating character getting in his head for the brief glimpse that we saw. I'm just like, oh, man, I want more of this guy. Like, he seems really interesting. So, yeah. Cool. Like, good start. Can't can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, so the last time, the last book we read, the prologue, we got to see some of the magic in, like, Vasher creating little straw men to go and get the keys or whatever. This is some rather more dramatic introduction to the magic than that one. Well, I do feel like th- this and Mistborn, their magic systems really lend themselves to action more than mm. Warbreaker or Elantris did. So that is a factor. Like, that's not a mark against Warbreaker at all. Just like, yeah, these power sets have just seemed more designed for that. So, yeah, I mean, y- you can definitely tell that it, uh, as you said, it creates a very dramatic picture and fight when you can send people to the ceiling or make them crash back down onto a spear that you're holding up. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it feels like there would probably be very useful things you could do with these powers that do not involve fighting, but it does lend itself well to this. Oh, absolutely. It's like, I mean, there's a little bit of the force in this, like just making things shift all over the place. Like, especially when he was crashing the dude into the ceiling and then crashing back down, I was reminded of, I think Darth Vader did that in rogue one to some of those Uh, poor helpless bastards. So now that you say that, it is like Seth walking down a hall, like just taking out guys. It's very much like that Rogue One scene with Darth Vader walking down the hall. They've even both got swords. So yeah, like the magic glowing swords. Yeah. Ugh. I I I read the prelude and I was confused. <laughs> you know, uh, there was these weird creatures. The thing that caught my interest was like the weird creatures that were dead with their ribs sticking out, whatever they are. Be yeah. interested to uh, know more info. I don't know. Something in my I don't even remember the name for them because I read the prelude a lot earlier than I read the rest of the section. They're called um, Thunderclast. Thunderclast. Uh, I don't know. If my brain thinks dragon from that name, but I'm sure that's not what it is. It sounds like a Final Fantasy bad guy to me, honestly. Yeah, the Thunderclast. Yeah. Sure. So that was pretty cool. They betrayed some guy. That seems pretty messed up. I'm curious to know what that's about. Surely that guy's going to be out for revenge 5,000 years later. Maybe that's what this is all about. <laughs> and so, yeah, we've got that. We've got crazy, cool lashing magic. You know, that was interesting and different. It's fun. Uh, Zeth seems like a cool guy. That was five years ago, though. So who knows uh, how much more he's going to be involved, if at all. And so and then we've got Kaladin who's the only name I knew going in. And obviously, if the chapter one starts with him, he's probably pretty important. <laughs> and so I would assume that uh, some cool stuff's going to happen, but uh, I don't know to the extent. I, I, I'm going to just throw out a wild theory now. The prelude guy that got betrayed, it's uh, it's Hoyt, a.k.a. the sexy drifter. Wow. And he's going to be upset. You, but, uh, it seems like you would be upset, right? Yeah. Uh, given what was described as like what uh, they're leaving this guy. They're to. Basically, like we're tired, and that guy can sit in hell for the for the eternity. Who cares? Yeah. Somebody's got to do it. It's not going to be his us. Name was, 
town, apparently. Yep. Town. Sure. Anyway, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Okay. I mean, you know what? I'm, I, you know, I mean, I am sick, so I'm like underselling it here. I actually really enjoyed all of the, uh, the prelude, maybe not so much, but the action stuff with the magic fight and then even the army battle. Everything was very well done, well written, kept my interest. A lot of words flying around that I don't know the what they mean, but that's okay. <laughs> and uh, definitely some – There it sounds like there's some prejudiced biases going on between different types of peoples so that'll be interesting to kind of dissect and figure out what the deal is with that so yeah there's definitely a lot of uh a lot of names to remember i guess that's true of when we whenever we start one of these books is like oh geez there's so many freaking names people and places and things how am i supposed to keep track of all this and then you're right we've already got some like connections set up between people it's like these this person doesn't like this person this person's fighting that person who knows okay i guess let's Let's get into this. I want to start with the maps, as I generally do, because I love maps. The first map we get is of Roshar, which is the name of this continent and also the name of the planet. So uh, that maybe simplifies things. Jamie was pointing out earlier uh, that there's a lot of places on this map. It's just like there's so much potential here for us. It's a great big world. Interesting little things to note. Let's see. You've got the Ocean of Origins on the east side and the Endless Ocean on the left side and the Steamwater Ocean on the north side, all sorts of. But when you look at the compass rows, it says north and south, but then the other directions are leeward and stormward. So interesting little. And then the the little thing in the bottom right says for his royal majesty, King Gavilar Colon by his royal high cartographer. So this map was created for the king that we meet briefly in uh, this book. Or in this section, rather. And what else? The, the name is Sazik Shulin. So, is that Naz's real name, or is this just some other dude? I think this is just the King's Royal Cartographer. I feel like Naz would have some extra notes on here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, his map wouldn't look so shitty. It's a nice map. What are you talking about? Uh, the one on the Kindle version, like you said, it's not great. It's not great, yeah, because it's like cut in the middle or whatever. Um, also note that uh, this lo- the one large section on here is Alethkar, which we are going to visit in two of these uh, chapters. The uh, the prologue, not the prelude, the prologue takes place in Kolinar, which is one of the cities labeled here. And speaking of, the second map is a map of Alethkar. You have a second map? Oh, did you not have a second map? I don't think so. Unless it's after the pre- oh, it's after the prelude. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. So I won't hit on it. In, in fact, you know what? You're right. It's after the prelude. Let's let's leave it till we get there. So the prelude to the Stormlight Archive. We meet a guy named Kalak or Kalak. I don't, I don't know how you say his name. Who is walking around the dead body of a thunderclass or d- a dying thunderclass? Is not dead yet. An enormous stone beast. Mm. Stone beast. It made me think of. I know I said dragon, but it also made me think of the Elden Ring. I don't know if any of you have played Elden Ring, but there's like. You go on these bridges, and there's these, like, giant elemental dudes that hang out on the bridges and that you have to, like, either defeat or, like, run away from. It's pretty interesting. He describes it as vaguely skeletal in shape with unnaturally long limbs and deep red eyes and an arrowhead face. 
even after all this all these centuries, seeing one up close made him shiver. So this guy's been around a while. Giant stone gorilla. Got it. Yeah. And he's basically he's walking through the aftermath of a battle is what we're getting here. Lots of bodies. So a lot of them human. Some of them not human. Red blood, orange blood, violet blood, all sorts of stuff uh, out here. Even some sections of rock smoldered. The capital D dust bringers had done their work well. But he lived. He says, I actually survived this time, which is dangerous because when he died, he gets sent back. No choice. But when he survives the capital D desolation, he's supposed to go back himself uh, of his own free will. Hmm. And we'll get a a little more of an idea in a minute what he would be going back to. Yeah, this is really confusing. It's like they're saying they're in some kind of unending battle, but then they're like, well, if we don't go back, then it will end. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, a little bit strange, right? So the ten of them had chosen a place to meet beforehand, but when he arrives, only Jezrian is there, or Yezrian. I'm sorry, it's the the soft J in, in, in for these people. Whoops, did not pick that. And as he comes up, he sees seven swords stuck in the ground. It's very Kingdom Hearts vibe here. Yeah, a little bit, yeah, right? If their master had died, the blades would have vanished which we see the opposite happen with a certain blade later, indicating maybe that they're not the same sort of thing. These blades were weapons of power beyond even shard blades. Unique, precious, and he meets up with with Yezrian. I'm going to have to get used to that because I've always said it the other way. But Yezrian looks like a guy barely in his 30th year. I got a very young Christopher Lee vibe off this guy. I have no idea why. Yeah, okay, sure. He's. I mean, he's described as being Lee very vibe. regal. I could kind of see that. Yeah. yeah, young Christopher Lee, like uh, what? What Captain America movie was he in? Like an old one? No, he like, wasn't. I don't think he was in Captain America. He was in one of the Roger Moore James Bond movies. No, he wasn't I'm pretty great, sure. But he was sublime. I'm pretty sure he's in a Captain America movie. I'm gonna, I'm gonna Google it. Yeah, hold on, let's find out. Okay. Oh, Data's got it. He played like uh, uh, he played the bad guy, but I don't remember who the bad guy was. Well, the last the thing he did was a short called The Hunting of the Snark as the narrator. I love that poem. That's like my favorite of her works. I no, hope that right. uh, Skype America is going to Death be okay. Too Soon, 1979. There you oh, go. God, this bad. Rating 3.7 out of 10 on IMDb. Oh, nice. yeah. It's a terrible film. It's terrible. He played Miguel, whoever the hell that is. Uh, <laughs> I think he was the bad guy. Okay. So we found out he wasn't Captain America. That's the important thing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he, okay. was, uh, he was the Winter Soldier or whatever. No, that's not it. That's <laughs> that would have been a thing. Christopher Lee as the Winter Soldier. Uh, Captain it. America is about to get chilly. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Uh, I got to I gotta tie a bow on it. Uh, oh, what is that dude's name? Bucky? No, who is the guy who uh, who is in all the action movies with the ponytail and he was terrible? Steven Seagal. Oh, John, oh not John claude Yeah, Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal <laughs> as Captain America in... Ah! <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's the bow. <laughs> Steven Seagal. Yeah, in 1979, when uh, he did Captain America, I don't think the Winter Soldier existed. No, he did not. Okay, anyway, back to the book. <laughs> so... Kallax, Kallax like, Yezrian, where's everybody else? And he says, they left. Only one of us died this time. And Kallax like, Talonel. This was the only blade not there. 
Talon, which I guess is short for Talonel, had a tendency to choose seemingly hopeless fights and win them, but also die in the process. He would be back now in the place where they went between desolations, the place of nightmares. And Kallak is just like, I, I can't do it this time, man. And we, he, it mentions like Yezrian hasn't worn a crown in centuries. So apparently he was a, a king or something, something that wore a crown at some point. Kallak's just like, I can't do it anymore. I, I can't go back. And apparently the other eight of them had made that same decision. And Kallak, uh, we, we get a look at the kind of stuff that they've been going through where he says centuries, perhaps millennia. He's not sure of torture fires, hooks digging into his flesh anew each day, searing the skin off his arms, then burning the fat, then driving to the bone. He could smell it. Yeah, it's a real it's a real hellraiser type. Yeah, I, I can't blame a person for being tired of that after potentially millennia. Yeah, I'd probably choose not to go back. The fact that, like, you get sent back <laughs> no choice or you're supposed to go back, like, mm, yeah, <laughs> I, I'd run. Yeah, yeah, no, I wouldn't. It's those damn Cenobites. <laughs> and so Yezrian says, a decision has been made. It's time for the Oath Pact to end. And Kallak's like, what'll that do? And he says, Ishar believes that so long as there's one of us still bound to the Oath Pact, it may be enough. There's a chance we might end the cycle of desolations. And then Kallak sees in Yezrian's eyes the same feelings of anguish and grief and maybe even cowardice that he feels. Mm. Yeah. So basically they're like, hey, let's uh, let's hang our boy out to dry. He's going to have to bargain with Dormammu over and over and over and over. <laughs> yeah. And we he, he glances out across the field of corpses and he sees we've, we've got a mix of guys with primitive wraps and spears with bronze heads. And then we've got other guys with like gleaming plate armor. Uh, uh, very, very stark contrast. And Kallak's like, I mean, what are they going to do? They rely on us. And Yezreen says, well, they have the radiance. That will be enough. And Kallak says, he will not remain bound by this, the enemy. He will find a way around it. And the king of heralds says, perhaps. And Talon? Better one man should suffer than ten. So it's been decided. We're going to go our separate ways. We won't seek each other out. Our blades must be left. The oath pact ends now. We chose this burden willingly. Well, we can choose to drop it if we wish. You got a point there. I mean, yeah, if, if you chose it, why not choose the other way? I mean, Oath Pact sounds very intimidating, like they've taken some sort of binding oath. But, uh, you know, what's that worth, really? Yeah. And Kallak's like, but what do we tell people? What will they say? And Yazirin's like, oh, it's easy. We'll tell them that they finally won. It's an easy enough lie. Who knows? Maybe it'll turn out to be true. And Yazirin summons his own blade, which appears out of mist in his hand, and then slams it into the ground. Ba-bam! I'm done. And then the prelude ends with Kallak just being like, forgive us. And then he leaves. Like, he feels bad about it, but not bad enough to go back to that. And so, yes, then we move into book one, The Way of Kings, 4,500 years later. And here's where we get the map of Alethkar and surroundings created by His Majesty Gavilar Colin's Royal Surveyor, circa 1167. And the one thing, other than, uh, I'll again point out Colinar, which is in the Colin section and that's the place that we're going to spend the prologue. Did one other pronounce colon? I've always said colon. Or colin, I think, is maybe how it's supposed to be pronounced. I've heard it said that. Colin. Way. It's colin. Oh, colin. Yeah, that's, better. <laughs> that's, that's, that's better than city of poop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But uh, the one other thing I would point out is when we get to chapter one, we find out that this battle that uh, is going on in chapter one is on the edge of Bright Lord Sadius's territory. And you can see Sadius's territory in the, the top left of this map. So that gives you a vague idea of the area where chapter one takes place. Also, one of my favorite things about this is if you look at the, the little symbol at the top of the prologue, you get an image of Seth wearing his white outfit and going to kill someone. Uh, very Assassin's Creed. There's a lot of referential stuff going on here. I was going to go with Moon Knight. He makes at one <laughs> point, I, I wear white so they see me coming. Fuck yeah, you do. And we get our first epigraph, which, yes, these will be, uh, we'll see a lot of epigraphs in these books. The love of men is a frigid thing, a mountain stream only three steps from the ice. We are his. Oh, Stormfather, we are his. It is but a thousand days, and the ever storm comes. And then we get a note as to the source of this, collected on the first day of the week Pala, of the month Shash, of the year 1171, 31 seconds before death. Subject was a dark-eyed pregnant woman of middle years. The child did not survive. Okay. Well, that's uh, an up note to start this on. It's pretty dark. And then we get the line that I've often heard people say, uh, like reference among like the greatest first lines of a book ever, even though it's not technically the first line of this book. But I, I do quite enjoy Seth, son, son, Volano, truthless of Shinovar, wore white on the day he was to kill a king. That's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. And so uh, going back to the big map from the beginning, you can see Shinovar on there in case you're wondering where he is from, because it says that he's of Shinovar. Uh, it's like over we're in Alethkar on the right side of the map of Roshar. Shinovar is on the far left side. And so it says that the white clothing was a Parshendi tradition foreign to him, but his masters required it and he did not ask for an explanation. And he's at a party. It is uh, it is kind of the, the back end of this party where a bunch of the revelers have drunk so much that they are passed out on the ground, including uh, in, in a moment he's going to pass by the king's brother, Dalinar Kolin, who is uh, mostly passed out but refuses to let people take him anywhere else. And there are drums going, and it said that the the Alethi, that's the the people of Alethkar, the Alethi, not uh, not big fans of the drums. They felt like they were, uh, or at least the uh, the high and mighty among them, felt like that they're like low instruments. But once you get them drunk enough, it's all good. Yeah, just bring out some wine and we'll all dance. The Parshendi are here. And these are men with skin of black marbled with red, which is an interesting picture to try to conjure, I feel like. But when you say marbled, I think of like marble cake immediately. And I don't know if that's the correct thing to think of. But no, I think they're probably pretty close, just like those streaks of like faint hints throughout the coloring. Hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm, cake. The Parshendi are cousins to the more docile servant peoples known as Parshmen in most of the world. The Parshendi is the Alethi word for Parshman who can think. Neither side seemed to find, find that insulting. <laughs> just, the, Ale the Alethi light eyes are the ones hesitant mm. about the drummers, by the way. I, I, uh, so, yes, Dalinar Kolin is passed out at the table or at a, at a small table, but he will not let people get him to bed. Where was Yasna, the king's daughter? Elokar, the king's son and heir, was at the high table, ruling in his father's absence. So the king's not here, his daughter's not here, his brother's passed out, but his son's here, so it's all good. We as get long as there's the... a responsible adult in the building, it's fine. <laughs> you know, we don't know how drunk Elokar is, though, so maybe maybe he's not very responsible, who knows. 
This is the we get our first reference to Spren, which we will see a few more times. Spren being referenced. These are music Spren zipping through the air around them. Tiny spirits taking the form of uh, spinning translucent ribbons. And Seth is kind of confused because tonight a treaty was signed between the Alethi and the Parshendi. But the Parshendi have ordered him to assassinate the king of the Alethi tonight, which is an odd time for that, the night that you signed the treaty. I guess no one's expecting it. This is true. Yeah. The king. (laughs) And Seth has some some opinions on stuff, on stuff being profane. For instance, let's see, they uh, there are as he's going down this hallway, there are azure lights coming from. Cages on the wall that hold sapphires infused with stormlight, which, hey, stormlight, there's there's a word that is in the title of the books, at least, you know, that's probably important in some way. (laughs) How could the men of these lands use something so sacred for mere illumination? Also, uh, it it was said the Alethi scholars were close to creating new shard blades, which he thinks that would be real bad. If that happened, then probably all the countries in the world would be speaking Alethi to their children before long. I'll I'll give you guys if in case it helps you to conjure the picture here alethi are generally they're very tall as a rule and skin tones ranging from what you might think of as like a south asian to an east asian skin tone like anywhere in that range kind of whereas uh seth being from shinovar he is shorter and he is he the easiest way to say it would probably be he's he he would probably look like what you would think of as like a European like white guy would look like like the height that you might imagine from your average guy and stuff like that. So uh, he is unusual in this circumstance because all the Alethi look very different, but uh, he'd probably be kind of what you would think of as an average European. The men were coats with buttons down the sides and the women wear dresses grand silk dresses with the left sleeve being longer than the right and covering the hand alethi had an odd sense of propriety he thinks so he goes out of the main feast into the beggar's feast a tradition where the poorest people in the city were given a feast also when the king was feasting so that's nice and there's a a guy there who he's not sure if he's crazy or drunk at first who's just like have you seen me and then laughs Seth ignores him. I mean, come on, you could talk to the guy at least. And he walks past the statues depicting the ten heralds from ancient Voran theology. Jez, well, I'm sorry, Yezereza, Ishi, Kelek, Talanilat. These names. It's, it's not it's not like Elantris names, but I mean, geez. Although he notices that one is missing and it's like, whoa, where where's that one? Why does Shalash not have a statue? And they've just completely mispronounced all the um the guys from the prologue, the prelude, sorry. Uh Oh, with the, I mean, yeah, those are some ten, similar ten, names, huh? The, the Ten Heralds, that's yeah, how, that's that's how guys. We know that there were ten of them, because yeah, nine need... nine left and one Talonel got left uh, behind, so. Yeah, yeah, for those. Well, yeah, those... it's been 5,000 years, they may have forgotten the names. Oh, sure. But, like, we know that's who they are, at least. Hmm. So, if these are those guys, then, uh, in those five or forty five hundred years, they have become religious icons, the ten heralds of Voran theology. And Seth also finds walking on stone to be profane. But he's like, ah, what can I do? He was truthless. He did as his masters demanded. 
that included wearing white, white to be bold, white to not blend into the night, white to give warning for if you were going to assassinate a man, he was entitled to see you coming. It's very dramatic. I like it. Sure. I guess if you're into that sort of thing, (laughs) which I am. I am. (laughs) As it turns out, I am. Uh, There's some torches and he sees tiny flame spren dancing in the torches and then some more stormlight lamps. And here is where some guards finally spot him where he's not a guy where he's not supposed to be double guard because there were savages abroad in Kolinar this night. Uh, like alliances could be shallow things. Indeed. This one wouldn't last the hour. And we find out uh, you, you get a lot of information just kind of slipped in here about kind of the, the hierarchy of how things work in the society. The guards are not light eyes, so they are forbidden the sword. They have spears. And so they're like, hey, get out of here. Shoo. You're not supposed to be in here. He breathes in and draws forth stormlight from the lamps on the walls. And it uh, it kind of juices him up. He says he, he could feel the light's warmth, its fury, like a tempest had been injected directly into his veins. So uh, he, he's on like some crazy drugs from this light. Mm, light. He holds his breath because he apparently doesn't need to breathe while hopped up on stormlight. And the light starts like leaking off of him but not as fast if he doesn't breathe, apparently. So the human body was too porous a container. And so they can see him glowing and like smoke coming off of him, like glowy smoke. And they're like, what the hell are you? And he says, what am I? I'm sorry. I'm Moon Knight. And he lashes himself to the end of the hall, basically. And so what lashing does is it, changes the direction that his body perceives as being down. So in our terms, it like shifts gravity for him, I guess is the way that makes the most sense to me to describe it. I really liked that take on it rather than like him moving his body against gravity. I I just thought it was a cool way of thinking about it. Also, like it made it a lot easier for my brain to comprehend that than like he was walking on the ceiling or something, you know? Yeah, like it's kind of mind bending to try to have to picture... Yeah, I agree that it makes it a little easier to follow. And he, he even explains it gave him the ability to man- manipulate whatever force, spren, or god that it was that held men to the ground. So he doesn't know what it's called or what it is, but he can change it. I laugh at gravity all the time. <laughs> gravity. <laughs> <laughs> gravity thinks it's so great. Well, what about this? Flash. And so he's basically made the the what was a hallway a shaft that he's falling down. And the two guards, he like maneuvers his feet. So as he falls down this hallway, he hits one of them, he each of them in the face with one of his feet to knock them over. And then he changes it so that the floor of the hallway is downward again. And as the guard is trying to get his spear up, Seth touches him and sends him to the ceiling. And he doesn't know what to do with that. He's like, what the hell is going on now? Like, that would be very disorienting to suddenly be on the ceiling. And Seth doesn't seem to be a fan of killing people. He says that it is the greatest of sins, and yet he is truthless, so he's going to do it anyway. As truthless, there was only one life he was forbidden to take, and that was his own. At the tenth beat of his heart, his shard blade dropped into his waiting hand, formed as if condensing from mist. So here we have a shard blade, which was mentioned earlier, but only in that... Those other blades were better than shard blades. And he cuts into the guard's neck, the one that's still on the floor. And we learned that shard blades can cut through anything. They can cut through stone, steel, whatever. But if it touches something living, it doesn't leave a mark behind, 
what it does is apparently, according to him, it severs the soul. Mm. So when he cuts through the guy's neck, the man's eyes smoke and burn, blacken up, shriveling in his head as he dies. So that's nice. Very pleasant. And the other guard is like, shard bearer. He starts hauling. He he starts yelling to arms and says, like, geez, finally, someone called for help. Geez. OK, it's what I was waiting for here. They had no idea what to do with glowing guy who can stick you to the ceiling, but a shard blade. They know what to do about that. And then Seth picks up the spear that the other guy has dropped and holds it in such a way that the guard who's on the ceiling is slowly running out of uh, the light that is keeping him up there. And as the light runs out, he falls directly onto the spear. It's a little overly dramatic. You could have just cut him with your sword, too. Uh, That wouldn't have been as cool. (laughs) It's got to be cool. It was. It was definitely different. Just imagine, like, you know exactly what's going to happen. Does the guy on the ceiling know what's going to happen? Just, like, line it up real careful, and then not nice. Not nice. (laughs) Make that guy see it coming. Oh, this is going to (laughs) suck. So Seth has to let people catch sight of him as he runs off. His instructions were clear. Kill the king, but be seen doing it. Let them know he was coming and what he was doing. Why? Eh, Who knows? And so all down these halls... There are these lamps glow with filled, filled with gemstones glowing with stormlight. King Gavilar liked lavish display, but could not have known that he was leaving power sources for Seth. And so we've seen the first slashing, the one that changes the direction that you perceive is down. Then he shows us another lashing as he runs through the storage room door that he finds. He does a full lashing where he kind of like sprays stormlight onto the the door the door frame and then closes the door and the light keeps the door closed like it it makes these two things stick to each other and not move it says it holds it there with the strength of a hundred arms so full lashings are very strong ah i see someone has played tears of the kingdom (laughs) i actually haven't played tears of the kingdom so i have no idea what the reference is it's it's one of those that i keep meaning to try stick things to other things ah okay yeah, just, it's like, uh, think of it like the magnetized thing, but you can do it with anything. Huh. Nintendo games are just so damn expensive that I'm like, I'll wait until I can get it on sale or something. It's just games in general. Well, that's true, but Nintendo's also bad about it takes forever to come down on their prices, if at all. That's yeah, funny. they're like, they keep their prices proprietarily high. And so he gets into this room and people are trying to open the door. They can't open the door. He uses his shard blade to cut through the stone at the wall at the back of the room. And then he lashes the block towards the door so that that is down for the rock, the the big square that he's cut out of the wall. And so just as the soldiers manage to break their way through the door, an enormous block of stone smashes into them. Oh, it's so fucking cool. This is such a cinema. Like, this is a thing that you could see. Uh, one of the popular uh, things that people in the fandom say is that Stormlight should be like an anime type thing if they make it. And I could absolutely see this scene. Yeah, absolutely. So he he's going down a hallway again. There's a big door at the other end and he sees fear spren shaped like globs of purple goo wiggling from the masonry pointing towards the door. So someone behind that door is so scared that they're drawing these fear spren. Sure. And he goes through and there's a bunch of uh, there's a bunch of guys in there, some spearmen waiting to, to take him on. 
the spearmen throw their spears at him, and we see the what he says is the third and final type of lashing, a reverse lashing, where he puts light into the door frame around him, but it doesn't make it glow. It, like, sucks light in, and it also sucks in stuff like these spears. It makes everything flying through the air move towards the the lashing. So that's also a, a useful thing to be able to do. These are some cool powers. Sort of reminded me of... Um... It's kind of like what Wax does when he's pushing away from him with like and the bullets are flying at him. He pushes yeah. them just just a bit to the side. Right. From Seth's perspective, you're right that he's making things move away from him so they don't kill him. It's very useful. Yeah. So, yeah, Seth is just he just goes into a fight here. He He's using lashings to change his direction so he can fly or basically fly around. Fall around is technically what's happening. Slicing people with his shard blade. Eyes burn all around him as he's cutting through people. According to legend, the shard blades were first carried by the knights radiant uncounted ages ago, gifts of their god. Granted to allow them to fight horrors of rock and flame dozens of feet tall. Hey, we saw a dozens of feet tall rock monster. It's true. But it wasn't a rock. It was a rock lobster. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, so maybe that's why he holds stone in such high regard. Maybe. Oh, that makes sense. But when your foe had skin as hard as stone itself, steel was useless. Something supernatural was required. So theoretically, these blades are made to fight like giant stone monsters, which means that they're kind of overkill on regular people. The Voidbringers, which cool name. Yeah, right. Band name called it. <laughs> you want to get sued? The Voidbringers. Could only have been cooler if it was the Hoidbringers. <laughs> so... If the blade touches a man's spine, he dies, eyes burning. If it cuts through the core of a limb, it killed that limb. So, like, he cuts through a guy's arm and says, like, yeah, that arm will never work again. He will never be able to feel or use it. That sucks. It's like the Renaissance fairs where they have the mock sword fights, and if, like, someone gets you in the arm, it's like, well, you can't use that arm anymore. But for realsies? Yeah. (laughs) Let's see. When one killed with the blade, there was no blood. So the blade's always clean. That's nice. Don't gotta don't gotta clean it off. And then the door at the end of the hall bursts open, and a group of people rushes out, ushering a man in regal robes with his head down out another door. So he's like, "Oh, they're getting they're getting the king to safety. Gotta go after him." But then a guy shows up in glistening blue armor made of smooth interlocking plates. This is not regular plate armor. No leather or mail visible at the joints, No small, just smaller plates fitting together with intricate precision. Shard plate, the customary compliment to shard blade. And the new guy also has a six-foot-long shard blade. Yeah, shard blades, uh, they're big-ass swords. Joe may even recall having seen some people walking around with giant foam mm. swords at their con. Is that what they were doing? That makes sense now. Although, like, to be, to be fair, to night be blood like, is also giant, so... Yeah, I try to be, like, willfully ignorant. But at least with Nightblood, he's thin, right? So, like, if somebody yeah, had a really right long Nightblood sword, that'd be pretty different. Although Seth mentions here that his sword is, like, his shard blade is also pretty thin. So I guess they can look different ways. Yeah, sounds like it. And this guy, he, Seth is thinking, like, oh, yeah, this guy has another sword like mine, but this one's bigger than mine. <laughs> the guy's at, at the end of the hall is like, mine's bigger. And so Seth thinks, like... Oh, geez, it's going to take a while to try to beat this guy. But I can't go after the king and leave this guy behind me. He's too dangerous. Like, a full shard bearer with plate and blade is just too much for me to, like, ignore. His lashings won't work on someone in shard plate. And the armor will enhance the man 
give him extra strength. So this is going to be a tough fight. Seth also mentions here in a bit that like he can't use his lashings if he is in shard plate, which is why he's never bothered to try to find some shard plate. And so two guys fighting with these blades that can cut through anything except like each other, basically. It's a, it's a very dramatic scene. And so Seth has to kind of throw, try to throw him off. He you know puts himself on the ceiling, fights from the ceiling. This guy's not going to be expecting that. He managed to get a hit in on the guy's back. But unfortunately, the major advantage that Plate offered is that it can block a shard blade. The hit just causes a web of glowing lines to spread out across the back of the armor. And Stormlight leaks out. So instead of denting or bending like metal, shard plate like cracks and breaks. Which it's weird because it's not really described that way, but I've always pictured it as like crystal. And it's like uh, you guys watch Ben 10, like as like Diamond Dude from Ben 10 is what I've or was it Diamond Dude? The guy who's like green crystal. Never watched Ben 10. Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so any 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 listeners out there, if you know who I'm talking about, there you go. That, that's my picture of someone in charge blade, even though it doesn't really match. The ben trip. 10, one of the worst cartoons of all time. No, I'm just kidding. It's fine. It's just not not for me. Diamond Head is this guy's name. Okay. Now I gotta show the picture just because uh, I like <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. What's the uh what's the ape guy from Kim Possible called? Monkey Fist? Monkey Fist, that's yeah. it. That is that is a dude made of crystal. Yep. Yep. And so yeah, this they they're fighting back and forth. This guy is a really good swordsman. He is dangerously skilled with the blade, and he has the armor that can block Seth's blade. So Seth is at a disadvantage in a lot of ways, although this other guy doesn't have his super magic powers. So that balances things out. But Seth is thinking, this is taking too long. Like, the king is going to get away, and I'm supposed to kill the king. That's my whole job here. So he tries, he, like, manages to hit the guy and throw him off balance enough to, like, knock him down. He's one of the pieces of plate shatters and the guy drops to one knee and says like, ah, here's my chance. And he's going to run off and try to grab the king. Hmm. The king and I, the shard bearer, the guy who's supposed to be bodyguarding the king just seems like he's going to let him go. Like as Seth runs off, he realizes the guy's not trying to follow him. He's like, I didn't hit him that hard. Did I? There's no way that. And that's what makes him think like, wait a second. It was said that few men could rival Gavilar Colin's swordsmanship. Could it be? What is the safest place for the king? Running away with some bodyguards or in the like impenetrable suit of shard plate and then left behind dismissed as a bodyguard? That was pretty so, clever. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's clever for Seth to have seen through the ploy. So. Yeah, well, you know, Seth's mama didn't raid no dummy. <laughs> <laughs> and I like when he Seth starts lashing pieces of furniture at him. And so you got the king here, like a couch is flying through the air at him and he tries to like chop it in half. And then he gets hit by like a footstool <laughs> and the fight goes on. They're honestly, they're, they're both pretty good. The, the shard bear gets in like a, a punch in Seth's face with his like increased strength, which says like, Oh geez, that hurt. That hurts a lot. And he, he says the blow would have killed an ordinary man. No time for pain, no time for pain. But the, the, the stormlight also heals him. His jaw felt unhinged, broken. But uh, the light is is gradually healing him now. That's good, I guess, for him. And they end up out on this balcony after he's taken this punch. And he starts lashing the balcony downward. So in addition to changing the direction of what I'm just going to say gravity, because that's the way that it makes sense. If he repeatedly lashes in the same direction, it increases the weight 
or something. It makes gravity pull extra hard on this. Increases the, the force. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what the best description is. That's probably the the most scientific one. Is like it's increasing the amount of force. Yeah. And he does. He lashes the balcony yeah. downwards four times. So I guess that's like making it five times is driven downward. Mm. To yeah. So scientifically, like I wish I know, you know, pseudoscience, whatever. This is what I'm trying to figure out what's happening by lashing this magic power. What's actually happening is gravity being affected or is some magical force just pushing them in a different direction? Well, when he changes his direction, like to fall down the hallway, it it doesn't seem like normal gravity is still pulling him downward. He's not like gradually going down towards the ground while he's also headed. So, yeah. So I guess it like somehow nullifies gravity's normal thing but i'm still wondering if it's actually like is it a nullification of gravity and a magical force pushing one way or is it gravity changing because it doesn't affect everyone just right just specifically or just whatever he's lashing i guess it's more specific because it's the balcony here but yeah it's weird right freaking magic the shard bearer steps out onto the balcony which the wood starts to crack and seth lashes it downwards a fifth time and it breaks he uses his final bit of stormlight to lash himself to the side of the building. So now while the king in his armor and the balcony are falling downwards, he's just like standing on the side of the building like, oh, look at that. And while Shardplate, it says, uh, would normally protect a guy from a fall like that, Seth had broken a section of plate earlier. And there's a giant chunk of wood shoved into Gavilar's side where the plate was broken. So that's unfortunate for him. And as he goes down there, Gavilar's like, I, I expected you to come. And Seth's like, really? I didn't expect to be here. Okay, if you say so. And the king says, you can tell Thytokar that he's too late. And Seth's like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> and the king's like, then who? Rest- Restaris? Sadius? Which, hey, Sadius is a name that we hear in the next chapter. So at least that's somebody who we know who the hell. Not even that we really know him yet, but uh, it's a connection. And Seth says, oh, no, my, my master's other Parshendi. And Gavilar's like, what? That makes no sense. And Seth's just like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it's like, look, dude, I just got hired to do this. I don't know. Like, I just do what they tell me to do. Yeah, I don't know what to And Gavilar's like, he gives him a crystalline sphere tied to a chain and says, take this. They must not get it. And then says, tell my brother he must find the most important words a man can say. And then he dies. And like Seth, Seth's sitting there thinking, like, he, yeah, he said that makes no sense. Nothing makes sense anymore, man. I'm sorry, King of the Alethi. I doubt that you care. Not anymore, at least. At least you won't have to watch the world ending with the rest of us. So that's cheery. And when Gavilar... the world burn. (laughs) Ominous. When Gavilar dies, his shard blade appears next to him. Which I I guess I didn't mention it, but like earlier, when he gets knocked over during the fight and loses hold of his blade, it vanishes into the mist, so... The shard blade is worth a fortune. Kingdoms had fallen as men vied to possess a single shard blade. And Seth says that a dying request is sacred to his people. So he dips the dead man's hand in his own blood and then writes on a piece of wood, brother, you must find the most important words a man can say. And then he leaves. Doesn't doesn't even bother to take the shard blade that's apparently like one of the most expensive things ever. He's like, one is enough. I've already got one. (laughs) I told him we already got one. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the end of the, uh, the prologue. 
very dramatic. And we move into part one. And unlike a lot of, uh, in fact, I'm not, I, I don't recall if any of our books had titled chapters before, but this book has chapter titles. Oh, I wasn't sure if that was just the section title or if it was the chapter title. Well, this part one above silence is the section title. On the next page, the chapter title is Storm Blessed. But I will tell you, while we're here at the part one page, you can see it says part one above silence, Kaladin Shalon. When we start a part, you will get a list of not necessarily all, but the main viewpoint characters for this part. So that's what that is. These are the two people whose point of views we will be in most of the time in this section. So yeah, cool. chapter chapter one is storm blessed. And uh, the uh, the epigraph here is you've killed me. Bastards, you've killed me while the sun is hot. I die collected on such and such blah, blah, blah. Ten seconds before death. Subject was a dark eyed soldier. Thirty one years of age. Sample is considered questionable. And so this is five years later. So the king of this nation was assassinated by the guys that he just signed a treaty with five years ago. And we are in the perspective of Sen, C-E-N-N, I assume that's Sen, who is a young guy going into his first battle. And he's just like, I'm going to die, aren't I? Oh, Storm Father, I'm going to die. And he's there's this. Uh, uh, it's too bad. It's too bad. I mean, based on how the chapter ends, it does seem like uh, he may have been correct. It's true. Sen is a dark-eyed spearman in some some minimal equipment, more or less. Many of the light eyes had full suits of armor and sat astride horses. Were there shard bearers among them? Bright Lord Amaram wasn't a shard bearer. Were any of his men? What if Sen had to fight one? Ordinary men did not kill shard bearers. It happened so infrequently that each occurrence was now legendary. Yeah. So, I mean, based on what well, we saw... Possible, but rare. Yeah, I mean, we saw Seth, who has the shard blade, like take down an army of dudes, basically, with that blade and his powers. And then we saw how if you have the shard plate in addition to the blade, you would be hard pressed to make it to do any damage to that guy with any regular weapons in his suit of armor that even the shard blade can't like break through unless, unless you hit it two or three times. So I think it's easy to see why that wouldn't happen very often. And so Sen is 15. And he's talking to Dalit, a mountainous bearded man. And Dalit's like, you're not going to die. You're going to be fine. I barely had three months training. He's like, no, dude, you're going to be fine. Because you're in Kaladin Storm Blessed's squad. Oh, wow. So fancy. And everyone around is like, oh, no, yeah, totally. Ooh. And then uh, here comes Kaladin. Who is uh, not, like he says, maybe four years older than me, which would make Kaladin around 19 if Sen is correct. Little, little taller than Dalit, wore the common leathers of a spearman, but a dark pair of trousers underneath. That wasn't supposed to be allowed. Why can't you wear pants? That's weird. <laughs> Maybe it's the specific type of pant. You're not allowed to wear dark trousers. <laughs> can wear your brown pants. Um, so he has a white cord on his shoulder, marking him as a squad leader. So Kaladin is the leader of this squad of guys, and they all have a lot of confidence in him, which I feel like we see that uh, it's kind of deserved throughout this fight. And Kaladin has just paid for this guy. He says, I paid good money to get that boy away from Gare. That man's so incompetent, he might as well be fighting for the other side. And Sen's like, geez, why would somebody pay for me? Like, I can't do anything. And Kaladin and Dalit decide where they're going to like make their stand out on this field, judging the, the rocks and the boulders and such. And Dalit tells him, don't worry. 
we'll be fine. Squad leader Kaladin is lucky. That's right, Kaladin. He's storm blessed, right? Sure, he is. I don't know how I would feel standing on the front line and then the guy's telling me, that's okay, we're okay. Like, this guy's lucky. <laughs> Just, I don't, that would not make me feel any better, I don't think. <laughs> that's his name. His name's Lucky. Well, on, on the plus side, they're like, we only lost one guy in the last battle. He's like, okay, but somebody died, right? Like, eh, people always die. Our squad loses <laughs> the fewest. You'll see. And so Kaladin and his men have a set of signals established where he's like beating a rhythm on a on a shield and he tells Dalit like watch the kid he's not going to know the signals so you need to help him out and Dalit tells him be ready to run and he's like run but we're supposed to like all stay in our straight line formation thing and Dalit's like yeah, I mean yeah you're supposed to but nobody's going to yeah. actually do that so didn't you see the American Revolutionary War that was the whole thing <laughs> these men here will break and charge the Lydites aren't good enough commanders to keep them in formation so you see, you see that this society is uh, very clearly stratified, stratified between light eyes and dark eyes, which is a, uh, I don't know, it's it's a weird uh, yardstick. I feel like, but whatever. And like the kids, like, should I have my shield out? But no time for that now. Let's just go. <laughs> and so the 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 section that they've chosen that they that Kaladin takes their squad to is close is is far enough from the main army to avoid most of the arrows which was one of the things that they're shooting for here. And Sen, he, Sen is out here like, I don't even know why we're here. Like, who are these people? A landlord was encroaching on Bright Lord Amaram's territory, which is land ultimately held by High Prince Sadius. So the the people of Alethkar are, you know, they're having border skirmishes among each other, while at the same time, there's a battle going on on the Shattered Plains to seek vengeance for the murder of King Gavilar five years earlier. The Shattered Plains does show up on the map. It's a very small uh, little place east of uh, Alethkar, if you're looking for it. Or I guess technically Stormward, since that was what the Compass Rose said. And so basically, Dalit has to kind of like direct him. Every time they change formation, he's just like shoving the kid around. And Kaladin has a very organized squad. They have uh, they found a good spot on the field to keep their position. Their Their group is too big and too well organized for a small group to want to mess with them. And they're... So good at what they do that when larger groups come up against them, they end up losing some people and deciding to try to fight somebody less good than these guys. So they're, uh, you know, a couple of people get injured, but they're really holding their own pretty well. The real soldiers are all gone off fighting in a real battle at the Shattered Plains. And that's where Kaladin wants to get his squad, where the real fighting's happening, not this whatever fighting. Sure. Want to fight where the fighting's the most awful, I guess. <laughs> or something, yeah. So you you want to fight for the murder of our king? Not these two guys just won't stay off each other's lawn, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Get off my lawn, kids. And so Kaladin has been watching the battlefield, and he notices that it's turning, and he has the group move. And Sen does not understand at first until he suddenly sees like the lines begin to disintegrate, and oh, okay, Kaladin knows what he's doing. Got it. Let's follow him. Except then. Sen gets separated from the group, and he spots some guys, and he's like, oh, there they are. And he goes over there, but those are not Kaladin's men. These are some uh, some guys who are not nearly as good or as big a group. <laughs> he's like, God, these guys suck. <laughs> and they get attacked by some enemy soldiers, and he gets stabbed in the thigh and is about to get killed. Like, the guy is raising his spear to shove it into his heart. And then Kaladin appears, storm blessed. 
and he Kaladin takes on six spearmen and he charges them and he just starts taking them down. He's got like two knives attached to like in two knives in like sheaths attached to the haft of his spear and he like pulls them out and throws one into a guy's face and or a guy's thigh in this case I guess is actually the first one. This chapter is entirely Kaladin is awesome. He looks after the little guys and he kicks ass. Yeah. So he takes out he takes out three of them. Uh, then then a guy gets a knife thrown through his eye. There's the fourth one. And then he kills the last two. All like he takes out all six of these guys. And then he starts like bandaging Sen's wound. And then uh, I like they they see a guy on a horse in full plate armor. And Sen's like a shard bearer. And Tal's like, oh no 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 no, that's just a regular light eyed officer. Shard bearers are way too valuable to waste on a minor border dispute like this. But Kaladin has a look in his eye. The same hatred that Sen's father had shown when he'd spoken of chull rustlers. Kaladin says, uh, we're taking a bright lord off of his throne. And he says, that's a battalion lord. If we kill an officer that high, we're all but guaranteed to be in the next group sent to the Shattered Plains. Imagine it, Dalit. Real soldiers, a war camp with discipline and light eyes with integrity. A place where our fighting will mean something. And Dalit's like, ah, geez, okay, fine. And so while Kaladin takes some of the squad off to take down this guy, they, uh, some of them stay here to defend the wounded and they put up a flag so that people will come out and help them. And Dalit says that like, usually the, the medics only carry off light eyes, but Kaladin spends most of his pay to bribe them to help his men and sends like, geez, this squad is different. Like, yeah, we told you. And so Kaladin goes after and his sub squads go after this guy on a horse with his open fronted helmet. Sen couldn't make out his eye color, but he knew it would be blue or green, maybe yellow or light gray. He was a bright lord chosen at birth by the heralds marked for rule. So the fact that his eyes are light colored makes him chosen and uh, marked uh, to be higher than the dark eyed people. Chosen by the heralds? Those guys fucked off. They sure did, buddy. They sure did. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, the guy is watching the battle until Cal, one of Kaladin's knives takes him in the right eye. Yeah, I just imagine like, oh, look at this battle. We're definitely going to win. Oh, God, my eye. <laughs> and Dalit says, uh, like, Kaladin knows about wounds. He can also read glyphs. He's a strange man for a low, lowly, dark-eyed spearman. Now, what's that about reading glyphs? This ain't Final Fantasy X. <laughs> and Dalit says, save your strength. The squad leader won't be pleased if we lose you, not after what he paid to get you. And Dalit er, sends, like, why? Why would he pay for me? Uh, it's just how he is. Hey, the thought of young kids barely trained going to battle. A good half dozen of our men were once like you. I think you all remind him of someone. Bum, bum, bum. Foreshadowing. Right? Yeah. yeah. And then here comes a horse, a massive black horse bearing a rider in gleaming armor that seemed to radiate light. Seamless, incredibly intricate, carrying a massive sword in one hand, fully as long as the man was tall. Not even a simple straight sword, curved, like flowing waves, etchings covered its length. He's like, oh, man, that's like a work of art. Sen had never seen a shard bearer, but he knew immediately what this was. Didn't Dalit say there wouldn't be any shard bearers out here? You couldn't fight. You didn't fight something like that. That gorgeous, intricate, sinuous sword. It was like the Almighty himself was walking the battlefield. Why would you want to fight the Almighty? Sen closed his eyes, and that is the end of our section. And I'm, I'm going to mention at this point. I, I should have mentioned up front, the song that we're using for this book is called When Honor Dies. It's like the um, the Ghost of Tsushima song. Ah. 
And I was inspired for it because the title of chapter two is Honor is Dead. So <laughs> that tracks. Yeah, right. So anyway, thought I would mention that since I just flipped over to that page and saw that title. So, yeah, those are our chapters. Uh, new book, new world, new everything. What do you guys uh, what, what, what's going to happen? Predigments. Where are we going here? Yeah, I have no idea. I think it's, it's very, very too early for me to go too far. I think I'm hoping that we we see Seth come back somewhere. I'm assuming there's something special about Sen, but I don't know what that's going to be yet. I don't know. It's very, very early for me, even for like a far-fetched out there prediction. I've got nothing. Not helpful at all. <laughs> well, no, that's yeah, that's fair. What, what have we got? We've gotten a bunch of names and places and things dropped on us and some magic. But it, I agree, it would be hard at this point to try to stick any of them together in a way that makes sense. Absolutely. So I have thoughts of where this book is going, just because this is the big epic, and I know that. So let's let's think of that in mind. Uh, Ten Heralds at the start of the book, um, they mentioned that they're doing whatever they're doing to prevent the enemy from getting out. They're fighting the stone monsters. There was mentioned those that the shard blades were designed to fight gods, and that's or equivalent. And they fought the void bringers, which were those monsters. And all that. Big stuff, big stuff. So I believe that the enemy the Ten Heralds are fighting us were the, was a shard who controlled the Voidbringers and is trying to break out. Uh, I imagine this shard is probably held in some prison like Ruin was. I think maybe another shard was opposing it, like like Preservation, but this one is completely splintered, not like Preservation still hanging in there by a thread. And the bits of this other shard are what made the shard blades and the shard plate and whatever blades the Heralds were using to fight off the bad shard. Like, you know, they were all invested with a bit of the good shard's power. So let's let's swing for the fences. Whoever that bad shot is will break loose at some point. So that's the big overarching prediction. As for the smaller one, I feel like whatever Kaladin does here on the battlefield involving the shard bearer with the bright eyes enforcer, he will get sent to the shattered plains, and he will uncover some plot there, which ultimately ties into the shard coming back, but we don't know how yet. And he's going to come across death, and he'll get that got that little shiny ball that uh that gal that galavar uh gave gave zeth and then maybe maybe they'll go on the run together that'll be fun <laughs> best buddies road trip movie uh kaladin and seth let's uncover this plot the plot of gods i i do like that you pointed out uh, or at least touched on one thing that i feel like is a whole thing here because the word shard gets thrown around a lot in in these first three chapters and Shard has a very definite meaning that we've seen elsewhere. So um, yeah. we were even we were even calling at one point the people who like had a shard. They were shard bearers. And then somebody, I think, pointed out an email. It's like, well, that, that kind of means something else, because we now have met some shard bearers who are definitely not people holding, you know, a shard. Yeah, but we didn't know that at the time. No, we did. Yeah, not get off our case. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, if we'd, if we'd started with Stormlight, like. The whole shard thing would have, yeah, would have been what shape that would have taken in our minds would have been completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Stormlight Archive. It's like I, you're, you're very inconsiderate, Stormlight Archive, to use a term that we already know is related to something in a completely different sense. Yeah. What's wrong with you? <laughs> That's why it's the big one. It can use these terms. Mm. Yeah. 
I, I like that you 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 threw some stuff out there at least. We're gonna you're like here here's some possibilities. We got we've got the weird glowy ball thing that Seth has. It's gotta gotta mean something sometime, right? And uh, we've got uh, we've got all these the, the shattered planes getting brought up here. So Calvin really wants to get there. Maybe he'll get there after this. Yeah. Yeah, coming in swing. Yeah. I like it. Left hook, right hook, you go, man. Back, back, uh, B, back down, B. Yeah. <laughs> Hot talking. Um, and uh, so that leaves just me, eh? I'm glad I went last because I think I have, I think I was spoiled on something else. And Data doesn't have to confirm this, but I'm going to put it in my theory since I think I heard tell about this. It's not a huge deal. Um, but I'm going to point it out first since I brought it up. So the line, I think, I think he, I think they remind him of someone. I'm pretty sure there's a whole thing between Kaladin and his brother in these books. I think I, I kind of got spoiled on that just for overhearing people talk about stuff, both at the con and my friends that have read Stormlight Archive that are not me. And so I guess that are not you. Good, good. Yeah, exactly. I'm my own friend. What are, you, <laughs> what are you trying to What are you trying to say? Anyway, so yeah, I think they're talking about his brother, which you know they may not know who who they're talking about, but I think that's the idea. And then yeah, sexy drifter slash Hoyt is the last one left out, going to hell, and sometimes somehow he got out or something. I don't know. I'm gonna go with that. That's probably not true, but it's a nice thought. And Ooh, um, Hoyd Hoyd is talent, eh? Yeah, that's that's the theory I'm going with for right now. It's probably not correct, but it's a it's a wild one, so I like it. Um, I just like the beginning of the story to tie in more directly somehow to the overarching Cosmere, and so uh, I'm just gonna go with that. And so uh, we got that. What else do we have here? Let's talk a little bit about Kaladin. Sveth, Sveth, Seth, Seth, however you say his name. I don't know that he's gonna come back for a while. I think he may be gone for a bit. Maybe he'll come back later, like way later. But I don't know. I think he was more to help set up the kind of current political climate that we're in. So I don't know that he's – I'm going to guess that he's not going to play a major role in the book. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong about that. That's just my theory for right now. I don't know how grandiose and large Stormlight Archive is at this point. Like To me, I'm just dipping my toes in the water. I really haven't tried to go and look and see how many books there currently are or how many there will be. I know Data has probably mentioned it, but I try to like not remember that kind of stuff because I want to be <laughs> kind of know as little as possible. I feel like that's how the show works best. And so uh, for my overarching theories about where the book is going, I mean – Kaladin, I've heard his name enough from friends that I assume he's going to be the main protagonist through all of the Stormlight Archive. And so I assume he's going to go on some grand adventure and realize his powers. Uh, I think he's going to end up being a a shard bearer because it would be pretty weird if these people with these amazing powers and magic systems exist and our protagonist doesn't become one. So I think that's what's in store for him. Uh, that's about all I got. Kind of logical. If there's cool magic powers and there's a protagonist, then protagonist should probably get some cool magic powers. I guess there's a uh, what's that book series? Oh, there's the Codex Alera oh. books by Jim Butcher, where uh, the the whole point is that everyone's got magic powers except the protagonist. But oh, yeah. I only read the first part of the first book. I couldn't. It was hard for me to get into that one. 
it very much drops you into the deep end uh, in that one. It's not like the Dresden Files where he, Jim Butcher takes or Harry's character takes care to over explain everything. That one kind of drops you in. It's like figure it out as you go. But, yeah, uh, it's good. You got okay some some interesting possibilities in here. I, I, I love that Joe's like, so, yeah, I've heard these these things that may be spoilers, you know, from people. But uh, I try not to remember stuff like how many books there are. It's a very, very spoilery there. Yeah, you don't want to get spoiled on how many books there are in a series. That could really mess you up if you're trying to keep your head down and your nose to the grindstone, you know? It, I mean, I, I recently read a book. I thought it was standalone, so that was why I bought it, because I was like, I don't want to commit to another series. And then I got two-thirds of the way through, found out it was the first of a trilogy, and went, fuck, now I have to get the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing your Facebook post about that, yep. Yeah, yeah. well, for me, it's more like I heard – you know, most of my Cosmere data comes from data, not to be punny, but uh, but, you know, this was something I'd heard from several different sources. I think that's probably why it's stuck in my brain. Sure. When you hear something from a bunch of different places, you're like, oh, yeah, that thing. For the record, the fifth Stormlight book should be coming out next year. All right. So we're about to have five uh, spoilers. <laughs> yeah. What the hell, man? <laughs> now I know how many books there are. And so at this point. <laughs> I was gonna say we're still there's looking a, at you know two years before we get to that, right? Yeah, yeah. There's like a that. there's a 50% chance that by next year I'll or by next week I'll have forgotten that what you just said. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, I I think that you guys uh, did as well, maybe better than I could have expected for these first three chapters. Uh, they're very disconnected from each other, given especially that one takes place almost 5,000 years before the other ones. So it's it's hard to sh- stick things together from that perspective. Uh, let's let's do our word of Brandon of the week. This one is a combination of Mistborn and Warbreaker stuff. And so let's see what you guys make of this. So the person asks, how effective would a leecher be at draining breath? A leecher, you will remember, is a misting who can use their powers and drain other people's metals. So and we saw in one story in the newspaper that uh nikki savage who is a leecher like drained the weird magic gun that the guy that i think we eventually determined was naz was using mm-hmm. and so this guy this person is asking so could a leecher drain breath and brandon says that could be fairly effective and so the guy says or the person says so if leeching would work on breath would it work on lifeless could you leech a lifeless and brandon says this is theoretically possible so there you go Let's put this theory into practice. <laughs> I feel like that really could have solved some problems at the end of Warbreaker, where it's like, what do we do about this army of lifeless? And like, yeah. We got this guy who can just like drain their the juice out of them. Well, let's send him. I mean, you need well, to yeah, but there's thousands to, like, of an IV drip worth of um, it, what metal do they use? Uh, oh, leaching was. Ooh, hold on. Uh, what whatever whatever it was, he needs a fairly large supply if he's going to do this to forty thousand corpses chromium i mean if they had one of those little alimantic grenades and you should like throw it out in the middle of there and it leeches everything around it that could be now you're talking that's using your ass (laughs) (laughs) now we're slaving i just i feel like it's a little bit unfair within your own magic system if you can't steal someone's breath to then have another magic system come in and be like yeah cool i can do that well that's true Although it's not stealing, I guess, so much as, like, getting rid of it. It's not like you get it. Yeah, fair enough. But that that would suck to just be, like, a regular person, one of those people walking around with only one breath, and some guy walks up and touches you, and then you're a drab. 
How rude. And if that was considered like part of your soul that you have to give up willingly, that has to be a crime. So they prove it. Yeah, right. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how do you prove that? That's a fair point. I was a, I was I had a breath and then now I have nothing. And that guy walked by me. Especially since you can sell those for a lot of money. It's like if I wanted to lose it, I would have just made money off it. Fuck you. <laughs> Uh, so yes, there's there's a, a little peek at some interactions between magic systems. I kind of like that one. Uh, we have we have a new email, and I think we have two new. We may I think we actually have three new patrons. So Joe, while I'm reading the email, get ready to patron people. The email is from Carter, and it's titled "Caught Up." Hey, Sander Lance crew, I've been listening to the podcast for almost a year now. And I've just caught up to the most recent episode. I will pause to say that that feels like a more normal time period than it's like. I started listening to you guys last month and I binged the entire thing. <laughs> Back to the email. It's sad not having a hundred episode backlog anymore because I think it's this is a great podcast. With Stormlight Archives just on the horizon, I wonder if Jamie, Joe, and Dak would have any predictions on where, if anywhere, we might find our sexy drifter. Might be a bit early for that question since we haven't seen what the world is like yet. Also, just for data... Yes, I agree with what you said. That is going to be a fun thing, the part that you've put just for me. Either way, I'm glad to have found this podcast, Wasing to the Time of Next, Colo, from Carter. So, yeah, any predictions on where the Sexy Drifter might pop up? Well, I already made that hell. prediction. Oh, that's yeah. true. I'm sorry. Well, you 100% it's been five. It's been 5,000 years. He's out by now. Yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, that was the whole thing. Sure. They, kept, they kept getting out and then going back. So That's true. I do think we would have to assume at some point Ho- Hoyd will show up as a beggar. <laughs> that that's that's his normal shtick, right? So mm. and he was a storyteller in Warbreaker, so yeah, I do. I I did like his storyteller. I like that he had a little bit more substance there. And did wasn't just showing up. I mean, he had substance. He was a obviously a bit more present in Lost Metal as well. But yeah, I feel like he'll be around, but maybe because he he's in every book, right? But he's not like maybe he won't show up as more of a person. Like he'll just be kind of mentioned in passing in the first couple, and then maybe turn up more later. Hmm. I think it sort of depends on what's going on on the world that he shows up in. Because he was a beggar on Skadrial when things were really shit for the common people, and then I think he was a smuggler in Elantris. So it's like a bit of a step up, but still not great. But then. Halandran had a thriving economy and good conditions for a lot of people to live in. So he actually had an honest job. And then White Sand, like he didn't talk, but he was uh, he was a bard, we think. Or, yeah, you know, he was like he, he was walking around singing in the background. Yeah. So like, you know, he seems like he's in a bit of a better condition there. So it really just seems to depend world to world. I believe in Elantris, he was technically a beggar, but he was a beggar that got hired by Serene to do some smuggling. Right. Okay. And then, and, and uh, Emperor's Soul as well. He was um, he was the uh, the Imperial Fool. Yeah. We didn't actually see him, but he got talked about. Yeah. Yeah. So. So yeah, there's there's possibilities. Uh, maybe beggar. So, maybe something else. Okay. Uh, that was our our email. Let me let me bring up our new patrons. So we got two at the ska level and one at the misting levels. The first one the first one is a ska level backer. It is Brad. Uh, Brad, you are a subsumer. Ooh. I just like the name on that one. It's fun to say. Subsumer. Um, yeah. the, the next one is Magnus VD, also at the ska level. 
Magnus VD. Not to insult you, but your name makes me think of venereal disease. Magnus VD, you are a sparker. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. And then our uh, our, our missing level backer is Nio NYO one one seven is what it is. Uh, Neo one Nio Neo one one seven Sierra one one seven the Spartan himself, John. Uh, I'm gonna stick with the S theme. You're a sentry. <laughs> nice. Okay. Oh, thank you guys for for backing us on the Patreon. If anyone is interested in that, you can find us uh, on Patreon. There's a link on our website to that if you're interested in that. And nothing new has gone up the last couple of weeks because I finished Yumi and the Nightmare Painter and finished and put up the unboxing of the Warbreaker box. But come another couple of weeks, the the fourth secret project will be out and I will have begun reading. Actually, it's closer to one week from now, I think. So... Or, well, from when this comes out, when this episode comes out, it should actually be, like, the day after? Let's see, yeah, Sunday is the first. This will come out on the second. So, yeah, I will already have started reading the uh, the fourth secret project when this episode comes out. And so, if you want to hear my reactions as I'm reading that for the first time, I still, at this point, I don't even know the title still, so I can't say. But, uh, you know, I will be posting those on Patreon, so check it out. Let me see, anything else, anything else that we need? So, for next time... We are going to read another three chapters, so chapters two, three, and four of The Way of Kings. That's If, if you didn't get by now that's what we were reading, then uh, where have you been this entire episode? If you'd like to send us emails, the address is thesanderlanch at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram, X, I already said Patreon stuff, Facebook, all those kinds of places. Places on the internet where stuff is happening, we're probably around, maybe. If you'd like to check out our Discord, there's a link to that on our webpage, which is www.thesanderlanch.com. So come and chat on the Discord with us. Three chapters for next time. Music by Miracle of Sound. And wasing to the time of next. Colo? Yes, Venture. Go, go.